Praise God. We are continuing our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and this is our 58th installment. But before that, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your light will breathe upon the scriptures, will illuminate the scriptures, and will give us perfect understanding. We thank you that your word will come forth in the fullness and in the power of your spirit, yet in simplicity and in clarity of speech. I thank you, Lord, that you will think through my mind and use my vocal cords as a point of contact to minister to your people what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. John chapter 12, verse 20 to 36. And I read, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And if it does, it produces much fruit, because it has fallen into the ground and died. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to us. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. This he said, signifying by what death he will die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you are, you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Based on today's passage reading, I'm ministering under our sub-theme, His Death, Our Gain. 
his death again. Now, this is a continuation of the events of Palm Sunday. People, people wanted to come and see Jesus and have an audience with him. Last week, if you do remember, we talked about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, which was known as the triumphant entry. So he had press and publicity. Uh, I don't think he turned them away when they wanted to see him. Uh, so what does this say to me? It tells me that Jesus is easily accessible. And I can say that on the authority of scriptures, and it's also consistent with his nature. Jesus never turned people away. Kids, little, little children, outcasts, strangers, foreigners who were not even Jewish people. Whoever came, Jesus extended an open invitation to them. Or he will also honor their invitation if they, if they requested one. So from this scenario, you can come to Jesus without any prior appointments or protocols. Have you been there where you have wanted to see a very important person and you have had to follow the protocols and all that need be just to have a very limited and a very brief time with the person? But Jesus, he is not like that. You can have all the time with him. He is not pressed with time. We should be encouraged by that. The one who created the heavens and the earth is not pressed with time. He is not in a hurry. Uh, he doesn't get upset. He doesn't rush you. He just wants you to come. So may I boldly say to you this morning that come to Jesus anytime, anywhere. And let me say this, anyhow. How do I say anyhow? Because when we use the word anyhow, anyhow means talks more about manner. And when you do something anyhow, it, it mostly means that you might not have a lack, you might not have a plan or direction. But Jesus doesn't want you to have a plan or a direction to come to him. Come to him just as you are. Sometimes when we present the gospel of salvation to people, people want to plan to come to Jesus. Don't plan, just come as you are. If you come anyhow, he will not be offended. All that Jesus needs is for you to come. And when these people requested an audience with Jesus, who has sort of become like the latest superstar or the hot kick in town, he never turned them away. Because if he had turned them away, scripture would have said so. May I encourage you this morning that you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's Jesus. Come to him as you are. Lay your fears at his feet. And that's why the Bible has said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we should come boldly to the throne of grace. All that matters for us to approach Jesus is to come with boldness. Amen. That is the only thing that is needed. Now, let's pay our attention to Jesus' words. Jesus talked about his glory. The word glorified in verse 23 means Christ exalted to a state of glory in heaven. So what Jesus was talking about is, I'm about to be restored to my former state. So this makes us know that Jesus was not a man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says that he took on the form of man. So when Jesus said, I'm going to be glorified, that was a coded word to his audience of the day, including the disciples. 
meaning I'm going to be restored to my state of glory in heaven. Now, how was the process going to be initiated? Now, Jesus is going to use a parable to talk about the process of glorification. Now, he goes ahead to compare a grain of wheat being planted. The grain has to be planted in the soil to experience life again. And for the grain of wheat to experience life again, it first has to go through the process of death. And then what happens is that it begins to now feed on sunlight, water, and the rich nutrients of the soil, and then it begins to spring forth or grow again. And whilst the grain of wheat begins to grow again, now it's in a prime position to bear forth fruits. So Jesus, by reason of this illustration, is saying, if he doesn't die, he will not be glorified. If he doesn't die, he will not be exalted to a state of glory in heaven, which is restoration. A part of Jesus being exalted also means having much fruits. So it's not just about him being exalted to his priestly um, splendor and, and who he was in his heavenly estate. It's also about having much fruits. If you read the book of Proverbs, it says somewhere that a king's honor is in the multitude of people. So one of the ways Christ is also glorified is when he has much fruits. And it was necessary that he will go through the process of death for him to experience that glory. Now, as I currently speak today, there are 2.3 billion people out of 7.8 billion people who ascribe to the Christian faith or who say they are Christians. And that is 31% of the world population. So as we are speaking currently, the reason why we have this percentage of the world that subscribe or affiliate themselves with the Christian faith is because of one man's selfless dedication and obedience to go through death that he will be glorified. So what Jesus said has rung true even today as we speak in the year of our Lord 2021. Now, when we read verses 25 and 26, Jesus was addressing two kinds of audience after he had finished with his illustration. Verse 25 lets us know he was dealing with the people present who were his audience. And that was the disciples mixed with the Jews, including those who had come for the feast. Because mind you, when Jesus Christ was going into Jerusalem on the Sunday, he was going because there was going to be a Passover feast. So during that time, you will have people from all sorts of nations who will come just for that festival. It was a very big deal. So Jesus was addressing all those people, including his disciples. And this is what he told them, a message he gave them in verse 25. He says, you will lose your life if you love it. And you will gain eternal life if you lose it. Now, Jesus is using this statement to point to his lordship. And what Jesus is saying or implying is that exchange your life for eternal life. Friend, if you are listening to me this morning, 
All that it takes for us to have eternal life is to exchange our life. If you love your life, you will lose it. At the end of this age, on the day of reckoning, you will realize that you have come to a loss. You will have to lose your life by accepting Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. It will then become gain to you. That's eternal life. And that was what Jesus was saying. One reason why people aren't willing to follow Christ is they love their present life. They are not prepared to lose it. May I give you an announcement this morning that coming into Christianity involves some sort of loosen. It involves some sort of death. Until you are prepared to lose your life in order to gain eternal life. On the day of reckoning, you count your losses. And that was what Jesus told his disciples and all those people who came for the Passover feast. Yeah, you may have a good life. You may have money to celebrate the Passover. You may be a Jew of the lineage of Abraham. You may have money. You may be a Roman. And you may ascribe yourself to the empire of the greatest era, which was the Roman Empire. But you have to be prepared to lose that life in order to gain eternal life. Because if you love your life, you will indeed lose it. So that was Jesus' message to his audience. But verse 26, he speaks prophetically to you and me. Who will serve him? You see, so Jesus gave a message to all those who were not born, including me, including you, including all the potential disciples and is set in stone. And verse 26, he shifts his attention from his current audience and directs a message to all of us. So listen to the message that Jesus has for us this morning in verse 26. Two words, follow me. And what does it mean to follow Christ? It simply means to conform wholly to his example. So when we come into Christianity, which is a lifestyle of service, we are supposed to follow the master by conforming to his example. That is why it's so important to read the Bible because where can you find the example of Christ and how he lived his life? You can find it through the Holy Writ, which is the scripture. Christ wants us to come to a place of discipleship where we will follow him. And following Christ also means that we will live after the manner and the pattern of Christ, which includes dying. And when I'm talking about dying, I'm not talking about dying as in crucifixion for the world because Christ has already done that and he has taken that place. But when we are talking about dying, it means you will have to lose something in this Christian work of faith to gain something. Amen. Now, the grain of wheat illustration, it applies to all. Not only to Jesus, not only of Jesus' time, but our time. So this grain of wheat illustration is for all of us. Jesus is hereby sounding the clarion call to us this morning through this message that if we want to be a faithful disciple, if we want to serve Christ, 
If we want to see gain in Christianity, we should be prepared to lose something. We should be prepared to die. We should be prepared to lose our life in order to gain something. And the exchange of that is that we will receive something that is of eternal reward and eternal value. And then when you look at the scripture, Jesus promised us two rewards. He says, where I am, my servants will be also. So there is the promise of heaven. And then number two, he promises us honor. When you serve Christ, there is gain. When you live a life of discipleship by following Christ and by patterning your life after his example, the Bible explicitly states that two promises will be made available for us. Heaven and then honor. Now, the story changes tone at verse 27. The Bible lets us know that now Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. Despite the gains that will come out of Christ's death, he was thinking of the agony of pain, the suffering and the shame that awaited him. May I tell you that salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Because sometimes free things can be cheap. But that cannot be the case with salvation. It is free, but it's not cheap. Why? Because it came at the expense of blood being drawn. And let me tell you something. Christ was not afraid of death. Because he is the one that went on to say on record, I gave my life. And the prince of this world has nothing against me. Christ had no problem with death. But Christ thought of the agony of pain, the shame, the suffering, the humiliation, and him being forsaken by the Father. That was what made him more distressed and more troubled. Not death per se. When he walked on this earth, he declared that I am the Lord over death. That was how he was able to resurrect people from the death. So when Jesus Christ was thinking and being distressed deeply about the crucifixion, it wasn't because he was going to face death, that which he has power over. It was more about the forsaking of God his Father that made him deeply distressed. The agony, the pain, Christ died a very shameless death. In fact, Christ died naked. But when you see these movies, because of viewer discretion, they always have to wear him in some pants or something like that. But he died naked. It was a shameful death. A death not befitting a man of honor. One who the scriptures have called the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This was not befitting him. But do you know why Christ decided to go through this pain, this agony, this torture? Go and read Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible says he was beaten to the point that he didn't even look like a man. Didn't look like a man. But he thought of this because he knew of the gain that will come out of this. Amen. But 
from verse 27, I learned a very important principle about how we should also be a servant to God. You see the servanthood of Christ here. And there are three qualities that I want us to mark. A quality of obedience, of humility, and of willingness. If we want to serve the master, if we want to be profitable servants to God, we have to follow in that like manner of humility, of willingness, and obedience. Even though this was a very tough task for Jesus, but Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Are you experiencing some very tough decisions? Maybe you will have to let some things go so that you will be able to serve Christ well. Maybe you will have to let certain habits die so that you can really see the glory of God. Maybe you will have to just disassociate from certain people so that you can experience the manifestation of the Spirit and His gifts in a mighty way. Perhaps you can take a leaf out of the book of Jesus this morning. And the chapter that we can learn of his servanthood is that he was humble, he was willing, and he was obedient. That is what it took for Jesus to say, Father, glorify your name. Even though I might be deeply distressed about this and I might be troubled about this, but glorify your name. Because at the end of it all, at the end of the torture, at the end of the pain, I see the glory of God coming out of this. And whilst Jesus surrendered, the Bible lets us know he heard the voice of God. Ladies and gentlemen, some of us might be struggling to hear the voice of God because we haven't surrendered. It might look dry. You might not sense the presence of God. Because you are holding on to that thing that you will have to let go. Surrender. Immediately Jesus says, Father, glorify yourself. I humble myself because I am a willing and an obedient servant. The Bible lets us know the voice of God thundered from heaven. You don't have to see a pastor to tell him, Pastor, I can't hear the voice of God. You don't need to go to a prophet to say, Prophet, I can't hear the voice of God. Today, my question to you is that, what is God telling you or what has he been dealing with you about that you haven't dropped down? If you are called into this life of Christianity as a life of discipleship which requires service and it means that we will have to obey obeisance to the master. Not our will, but his will be done. I tell you, for some of us, if we drop what God has been dealing with, we will experience open heavens. That's all it will take to experience open heavens. It's not too much prayer. God will not do what you have to do by obedience. Are you listening to me? God will not do what you will have to do by obedience. For some of us, it's just a simple obedience. The heavens will open. If you want to experience open heavens in November, I tell you, what has God been dealing with your heart for the last 10 months? Just let it go. Surrender. Yes, it might be painful. Yes, you might not feel comfortable. But let his will be done to 
today, as you and I are looking at the scriptures, looking at Jesus' servanthood, let it go. Let it be done. Let that thing die. Prepare to lose it so that you can gain the glory of God. When Jesus Christ surrendered and said, yes, it is difficult. I don't feel I have to go through this. I am the son of God. I am in the class of God. I am in heaven. I came down from my priestly state. But let thy will be done. When Jesus said that, the heavens opened. And then the voice of God thundered. I tell you, in the month of November, may you experience certain thunderings of the voice of God. May you experience the manifestation of the voice of God. But it will come at the expense of losing and dying. That is what it will take. And that is the only way. We can't skirt around the gospel. Yesterday I was at Bible study. And I had a contribution that blessed me. Don't try and change the standards of Christianity by broadening the road. And yesterday when I had that contribution, it gave me a new light on what Jesus meant by narrow is the way and broad is the way that leads to destruction. I have come to realize just yesterday by the contribution as I was thinking about it that when Christ was talking about broad is the way, he's not talking about how many people will go to hell. As in relative to how many people will go to heaven, that is the number will be small. But when Jesus is talking about narrow is the way, he's talking more about options. Don't broaden the options. Narrow is the way. And ladies and gentlemen, for us to experience or for us to gain certain things in our spiritual work with God, it is narrow. We will have to lose. We will have to die. We can't skirt around it. We can't change it. We can't say that we have to let it fix into our current context of 2021. This is what God has said. Ancient words of truth. It's never going to change. It is timeless. Until we lose, until we die, we can't gain for the glory of God. That is what it will take. Narrow is the way. It's the option. There are not many ways. It's just narrow. It's not necessarily about how many people perhaps will go to heaven. Because it can be narrow, but you can have millions of people traveling. It's just the option. We don't have too many options. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity, we don't have too many options. It is narrow. The truth is only one. And we can do nothing against the truth. Jesus is the son of God. He is the one who will have to believe and have eternal life. There are no interfaith denominations. There are no interfaith alliances that will help us to receive eternal life. It's Jesus that is the way. It's narrow. For us to also gain eternal life, we will have to lose. It's narrow. We can't do anything about it. And that's why the apostle says we can do nothing against the truth. Listen, so we can do nothing against the truth of scriptures. It is narrow. It is narrow. And we will have to learn how to travel on that road. But if we want to travel on the road where there are many options, it's broad. The road is narrow. If you want to serve him, if you want to be a faithful servant, if you want to be a disciple after the like manner of Christ, Jesus is speaking to us this morning that we will have to lose. We will have to die. That is the only way we will gain. 
And that is the way our master also gained. Amen. But the Bible lets us know that when the voice thundered from heaven, Jesus said, this voice is not for my sake. It was for your sake. Why? Because it was an important evidence that the people and the immediate audience of Jesus will know that he's more than a healer. Because until then, Jesus was seen as a healer. But Jesus is saying, I'm more than that. Until then, Jesus was seen as a prophet. But Jesus wanted them to know, I am more than that. Until then, Jesus was seen as a miracle worker. Not long ago, before the Palm Sunday, masses had just witnessed Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus wanted them to know, I am more than a miracle worker. He wanted them to know, I am more than a shepherd. Because there were some people who could attest to his shepherding ministry. And who were products of his shepherding. Disciples had a first-hand experience. But he's more than that. Jesus also wanted to let them know, I am more than a good man. People realized he was good. The mother of children will say Jesus is good. Because he was kind to our children. Suffer the little children to come unto me. One of the ways to gain access into the heart of a mother is to treat her child well. And Jesus did that. So mothers will say, he is a good man. Strangers who are not part of the commonwealth of Israel, like the Syrophoenician woman, they will say Jesus was a good man. A Samaritan who never crossed paths with a Jew, and in that case, that was a woman who Jesus had an audience with. She will say, Jesus is a good man. But this voice came so that it would dispel all those notions and shatter all those ideas. This voice came so that it will really bring a strong evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and He is God. And sometimes today, you look at our world, we are trying to reduce Jesus from the Son of God, from God, to just a good man, a prophet, a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker, which is correct. Because when you read the Gospels, he was all that. But we should never forget that he is the Son of God. Not was the Son of God, is the Son of God. And he is God. And Jesus then went on to make an interesting statement about his death. He says, my death has brought judgment to the world. And what does it mean when Jesus says his death has brought judgment to the world? It meant that Satan will be cast out. Christ's death serves as a constant reminder and a notice to Satan that he will be cast out. Satan has been judged. And he was judged on the death of Christ. And a sentence has been served to the devil. And he will pay the penalty at the end of the age of this world. That's why the devil is so mad. Because he has a sentence on his head. And the sentence is that one day he will be cast into the lake of fire. Where death and hell will be. Death has been served the sentence Hell has been served a sentence, and the devil, hell, and death will be cast into the lake of fire. 
And that was made sure on the death of Christ. So, now on this earth, where now the devil is now called the ruler of this world, it serves as a constant reminder to him that you are judged. And when we do John chapter 14, we will come to see that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind the devil constantly that he is a judged fool. And because he is a judged fool, let me give you this good news. He has no authority and no power over you. That is something you should be glad about. Jesus then went on to talk about the manner of his death. Mind you, this wasn't figurative, but literal. Jesus was saying, literally, when I am lifted from the ground, you know, the, the, the cross is normally on the floor, and they will crucify the criminal, and then they will lift up the criminal being affixed to the cross for the people to see. And Jesus is saying that in that shameful and humiliating state, when I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples with an S to myself. And that was fulfilled. And when we come to the end of John, we will see that scripture being fulfilled. The Bible lets us know that there were a sea of people who gathered to witness Jesus. And one thing about the Passover is that it didn't just attract only Jews. It also attracted non-Jews, Gentiles, and the like who came to participate and observe the Passover, even though they were not Jews. And even though they did not belong to the Commonwealth of Israel. When it comes to Passover and celebrations, it was an open check for each and everyone to come. So nations gathered. And it's so interesting that on the day that Christ was crucified, all those nations were there to witness that. Now, the meaning I get from this talks to me about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is able to reconcile nations to him. The gospel is reconciliatory in nature. After all this, the people around also asked, who is this son of man? Because these people had a wrong idea or a wrong view of who Christ was going to be. They knew that Christ was a king. They knew that Christ was a messiah. But they didn't expect that king to become a son of man who would die. They never expected that. And they never expected that the king that was going to come, he wasn't going to come after the fashion of earthly kings. He came as a simple man. They didn't know that. So, because the Israelites were also aware of scriptures like Isaiah 9-7, Ezekiel 37-25, and Daniel 7-14. It talks about the reign of Christ as a king. So, the Israelites had a preconceived idea of who Christ was going to be. He was going to be a powerful man. He was going to be a king. But who is this son of man that they are talking about? But the interesting thing is that in as much that they were aware of the aforementioned scriptures, they were also not aware of passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, which talked about the death and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and also spoke of his suffering. Jesus then answered that question by reintroducing himself again as the light. 
And if you do remember, throughout our I Am series, in, in, this, in this series, we have talked about the light. He reintroduced himself again that I am the light. And if you follow me as the light, you will not walk in darkness and you will be sons of light. Light illuminates. That's one function of light. It reveals. We will never have any revelation of the scriptures until we believe in the light of Christ. If you are not a Christian, when you take the Bible, you are just reading a historical artifact. No light will be shown on the book. There will be no illumination. There will be no revelation. For you to experience the revelation of the scriptures, for you to experience this Bible come alive, you will first and foremost have to believe in Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. He is also the light. And when you have received the light, you are a son of light. You will not walk in darkness. You will not walk in ignorance of the scriptures because Christ's light is going to shine on the scriptures and bring it to life. These Jewish people read the Bible, but they had no revelation. And that's why they were struggling with the concept of who is the son of man. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Bible will make sense to us, receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Even think about your life. Before you became a Christian and now when you were a Christian, can you compare times that you read the Bible? Can you sense a difference? I can. Christ is indeed the light. In conclusion, we see how one man unselfishly laid down his life, even though it was going to be torturous. But based on this, we can see some gains. His death brought us eternal life. His death made us sons of God. Because of his death, we will be where he is. Oh, I look forward to being where he is. I look forward. Because of his death, we will be honored. You think you've seen Anna? You don't know what Anna is yet. Until you stand at the day of reckoning and you experience what is real and true Anna. God will honor us. But Anna is not free. It came at the expense of someone's blood. So to us, it might be free, but it wasn't. And that's why I said that it is free, but it's not cheap. Because the price for that honor has already been paid. So to us, recipients, it may look free, but it's not cheap. Because of his death, one gain is that we'll be honored. Because of his death, the devil is judged. And if the devil is judged... Any authority he had over you has been cast out. Don't be afraid of the devil. The devil is supposed to be under your feet. That's where he belongs. And why? On the premise of Christ's death. Because of his death, we are one race in the sight of God. There is no divide. So all these social divides is of the devil. Because when Christ died, it was important that all nations will gather together at the foot of the cross. 
It spoke of the reconciliatory power of the gospel. The gospel unites. Thanks be to God that today there is neither Jew nor Greek because we are one in Christ. That is a gain because of his death. And now, this also serves as a template for our Christian work with God. That's one thing. We will all have to die one way or another or lose something in order to gain. This morning, I present to you his death again. Baptize yourself in Christ's death that you will experience the gains he has apportioned for us. But uh, his word of prayer. I've delivered your word, O oh Lord. Glorify your word in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.